Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Subtle results, still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to a special edition of The Big Interview. My name is Martin Gregg and today we are previewing the Champions League last 16 second leg tie between Barcelona and Napoli. And in doing so, we'll be casting an eye back to the conclusion of the La Liga season from the Catalan club's perspective. I'm joined by the host of The Big Interview, Graham Hunter. Now, given all that's happened in between times, we thought it was time for a little refresher on the first leg tie. So if we start with Barcelona, they drew 1-1 with Napoli on February the 25th. Dries Mertens opened the scoring, Antoine Griezmann equalised and Vidal was sent off right at the death for a tackle and then an aggressive head movement in the aftermath. Before the Napoli first leg, Barcelona had beaten Ibar 5-0 and Madrid had lost to Levante to give Barcelona a two-point lead at the top of La Liga. Then there was a Napoli game, then Barcelona lost a classical 2-0 the following weekend, then it was a 1-0 win over Real Sociedad. Then it was lockdown. So after lockdown, Barcelona played 11 games between June the 13th and July the 19th. They won eight, drew two and lost once to Osasuna at home. And as you may know, they ended up losing the league by five points to Real Madrid. So we're going to take a snapshot of Barcelona in the aftermath of that 1-1 draw. How did that result look then? And what has happened in the ensuing months to change the complexion of the tie, Graham Hunter? Look, it was ghost football in, in, in the south of um, Italy. It was ghost football somewhat in the way that they played in Turin when they were beaten 3-0 by Juventus, somewhat of the way that they played uh, when they were pumped by Roma to go out. You know, you could equate it to Paris when they lost uh, 4-0 to Paris Saint-Germain, Anfield, and yet they got a 1-1 draw, which speaks something about Napoli's slight inability to, to deliver a killer goal that night. Um, Barcelona uh, that night woke up a little bit, played better football in the second half, played, moved the ball much more quickly, took more risks um, is an actual fact. But Napoli struck me as a side which um, had the running, the daring, um, the aerial game, which should have damaged Barcelona more and can still knock them out. You talked about um, the, the difference of no crowd. The camp now is a, is a big deal. 
Camp Nou is not a, a, a hideous, imposing, um, malevolent atmosphere to go into, but it, it daunts a lot of players. It's such a beautiful, iconic stadium. Um, it can get noisy in terms of if you let Barcelona get on top of you, if you let you them move the gear up, put their foot down on the pedal, the the the, the singing, the the deification of Messi, the Barca, 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 can can weave a hypnotic spell on some players. That they, they can, you know, negativity infests the minds of of many people. And and I've watched teams playing well. Um, go 1-0 down at the Camp Nou to Barcelona, in Europe particularly, where they haven't been beaten at home since the Bayern Munich match, um, which ended up, what, seven-something, I think, four in, in Bavaria and three at Camp Nou. Um, so the lack of a Camp Nou crowd is an element. It's a, it's a big loss. And on that night, one of the things you'd say about Football Club Barcelona is that they were... You know, they were slow. They were lacking uh, Luis Suarez in terms of hold-up play, uh, in terms of the, the damage that he can do um, by making Messi an even better footballer. Suarez notoriously hasn't scored um, away from home for, I mean, it's over five years now since Rome in a 1-1 draw. But when he plays, Messi is a superior footballer to when he doesn't play. It's that simple. And I'll tell you something now, um, Barcelona have also been enjoying slightly shorter holidays than Real Madrid, but Suarez looks as trim as I can remember him since they won the treble in 2015. I think that's a deliberate effort from him. I think he wants to see out the last year of his contract. He's somebody who's been saying to Barcelona, you know, why haven't you bought another centre-forward by now? You need one. I'm this age, my contract is at... X stage, one year to go. He's actually been in a handful of interviews saying, I, I, I'd accept another centre-forward. And, and Griezmann's not a centre-forward. That was known you know, before he came. So I, I look at um, Messi's desire uh, to win the Champions League. I look at Suarez's regained fitness. I look at the way that Suarez and Messi played against Villarreal, where they thrashed them. And away at Alaves in the last day of the season, when Alaves admittedly had been celebrating staying up. But it's those flashes of um, energy and brilliance and wit um, contrast so much with the, the flaccid, lazy, slow, stupid, um, characterless football which Barcelona are, are capable of, of producing just about three out of every four games. Before restart, I tipped Real Madrid to win the title, even though there was a points deficit. I was right about that, and I thought it was blatantly obvious that Barcelona would not get through um, a series of matches which included really difficult ties. But you know, probably the two key ones where I thought they dropped points were Sevilla away and Atleti at home, and they found it very hard to sustain a lead. There's an open season on the types of criticisms which should have been pungent and important for two or three years now after the defeat to Osasuna at home where they, they lost um, to a 10-man Osasuna side. And, and albeit that Osasuna were hard-running, clever, took risks, are really well coached by 
Jagoba uh, Arasate, who, whose brand of football I really enjoy. And um, for them to do what they've done despite losing their key striker in Chimi Avila was off the scale. Where they've finished and to go to Camp Nou and win as they did with 10 men is, is just off the scales. It was wonderful. Messi's diatribe afterwards about we won't win the, the Champions League if we keep playing like we're doing. Not like tonight, he said, it's like we're doing. We're too irregular. Um, we need a massive autopsy. We need a massive sense of self-criticism from top to bottom in the club. So rather than long-winded answers that link the game in Sao Paulo in, in South Italy to now, Martin, let me just list what I, what I see as the major problems. Athletically, Barcelona are not all that. They can be out-jumped, they can be made to turn, they can be outrun, and they haven't got this focused all-for-one, one-for-all, I'll put an effort, even if my teammate has lost the ball, I'll, I'll work back, I'll anticipate, I'll press, I'll track. That, that has diminished, and it's diminished pretty horribly. So the, the gap between them and sides with lesser ability has closed. Secondly, Kiki Setien has been an awful appointment. Um, I'm sad to say that because I love the football he got Las Palmas playing. I love the football he got Betis playing. And remember, Betis won at uh, Camp Nou in a monstrous game 4-3. They won sequentially 1-0 and 1-0 at Real Madrid. And when a Kiki Setien team is using the ball and moving in the way that he wants them to, they're, they're just luxuriously... They're imperial leather, is what they are. They're luxuriously good to watch. But his ability and the ability of his second-in-command, Eder Sarabia, to understand the group um, of footballers uh, and, and to understand the club that he's at, failed. He fell out with the director of football at Las Palmas. He, on leaving Betis, where he was sacked, which I criticised the club for, he said, well, maybe I've failed to understand the culture down here. Well... He also failed to learn. He's failed to understand what was needed at, or to either to anticipate or to understand what was needed at Football Club Barcelona. He was brought by an agent, um, his agent, to, to a club where his agent has then got himself involved in selling certain players. I think that's wrong. Um, I think that's debilitating. The open warfare between him and his second-in-command and, and hard-nosed senior players like Suarez and, and Messi and Alba and to a lesser degree, Busquets and Piquet, means that I, I would have, had I been in charge of the club, if I'd been in charge of the club, then there's about a million and one decisions which we wouldn't have made. But I'd have been extremely tempted to think about um, changing coach before the Champions League, which sounds drastic, but there is a, a, a breakdown between the players and the coach, which means that at, at the moment, and I mean this separately from all the calumnies that have been thrown their way, it'll largely be the players running it. It'll be the coach giving the players largely what they want. Um, against Osasuna, Setien tried to slap down his, his major critics in the side and, and left out Suarez and Alba and put out a side which was lopsided, which wasn't ready for the competition, where Messi was like, what have you done? What have you left me out here without my key lieutenants? It was ludicrous. And... To add slightly more um, prosaic problems into the mix, right now, as we speak, they've got one fit centre-half. Uh, Longley, I think, should make it OK, but 
you know, it's it's going to be hard work to get him in, in full peak condition for uh, the, the Napoli tie at camp now. So Piquet and Longley. Ontiti, I think, is out for the season. Araujo, the, the kid who, who looks a prospect, is at this stage. And, OK, we need a telescope to see the match. It's, it's still significantly far away. There is a huge risk that Araujo doesn't make it, leaving Barcelona struggling for... Um, a third centre half. So there's time for these injury situations to adapt, but Umtiti's not going to make it. Dembele is not going to make it. You've pointed out that Vidal is absent for uh, the return leg. Um, there's no way to compare the two footballers, but it's a plus that in recent weeks, De Jong has been injured, but is now back fully fit and able to add something to the midfield. It's a plus that Ricky Pooch has been trusted. I mean, again, you couldn't get a more stark contrast in midfield play between Ricky Pooch and Arturo Vidal. But Pooch and Messi understand each other, play well together. And De Jong being back and being fit and full of energy and having had time to assimilate what's going on in his first season, it, that's a plus. If you watched the way that Gattuso's side so stubbornly um, edged past Juventus to win the uh, the Coppa Italia, um, if you look at the way in which they have run their campaign since restart, they've had injury problems. It looks like Manolo might not be playing. Um, they had striker problems when there were both injuries and suspensions. Obviously, the suspensions domestically don't count for next weekend in the Champions League. But if they can bring something like their first 11 to Camp Nou, then the two biggest factors that might prevent Napoli going through, which I think they're capable of doing, I genuinely think Napoli are capable of going through, would be Messi-Suarez, because when they're united, they, they can still do extraordinary things. It's impossible for a 33-year-old and a 34-year-old um, to win the league together when there are so many other debilitating factors in in their in their team, although they damn near, you know, they, they made it a, a damn good fight until the penultimate match. Another thing which I find extraordinary that the that this the state of the football thinking and football behaviour around them at the club can have sunk by so many degrees. Yet the really hard nosed guys there, PK, who's had a brilliant season, Stegen, who's had a brilliant season, Suarez and Messi and I'm struggling for anything other than bit part players, dragged Barcelona all the way to the penultimate day. I'm not a Barca fan, and Barca fans will take a long time to get rid of the pain of watching Real Madrid winning against a Barcelona side which played quite a lot of impoverished matches in their 38 games. But the achievement of, of just through sheer will getting to the final day uh, pardon me the penultimate day and, and still being in it and had they beaten Osasuna it would have gone to the, the final day uh, it is, is testimony to these these guys are, are blooming ninja samurai warriors is what they are but they, they run a risk they run a risk against Napoli and the other big factor I was talking about sorry about Napoli carry into this Camp Nou match as a potential risk about travelling onwards to the quarter final in, uh, in Lisbon is that they too have been playing you know, every three days and they'll have slightly less rest. Barcelona and Real Madrid needed the rest, needed a break. The intense, I can tell everybody uh, the intensity, you know, we were only working as journalists and broadcasters, but talking to the footballers, the physios, the managers, the subs, the scouts, the, the administrative staff, the intensity of playing a full round of games every three days 
um, for six weeks really cost. Napoli just won't have quite the amount of time off that might have helped them refresh a little bit. But I view them as, you know, not favourites to go through, but candidates to win and candidates to not Barcelona out. And it, it, it's a, such a hard second leg to call. I mean, it feels like we could do a separate podcast on the structural problems within Barcelona. But, I mean, the, the setting issue, it's quite interesting the way you were talking about it there. It seems to boil down to uh, his inability to manage the squad and manage the egos within that squad. And, and I wonder, if, is, is there a little counterpoint to Zidane here where, you know, you talk about Zidane being the kind of the player whisperer. You know, he manages to convey... Push the right buttons in, in these world class talents that are under his control. Is there something about the way these two men have managed their squads since the last time they kicked the ball in the Champions League, which kind of defines how things have gone in between in, in the subsequent, you know, five or six months? I, I use that phrase about Zidane because we we both know that it's an advantage to have played elite football if you're dealing with elite footballers. But it does not automatically mean that you're better than a guy who's had an average career if that guy is a brilliant coach, a brilliant communicator, an inspirational man-manager. So Zidane, I think, benefits from both those traits. I think that automatically he's granted a little bit of uh, room and respect because he's Zidane. But that would last about two weeks if he wasn't any good on a daily basis, if the results weren't coming on a weekend basis. What he's proved utterly sensational at is inspiring, inspiring the group, but also inspiring individually. And it's cruel to Setien because, as is often the case in football, right is wrong and wrong is right. Black is white and white is black. Setien came to Barcelona and um, having been a very able midfielder for Racing Santander, who was inspired by the Johan Cruyff idea that he was playing against when he played the Dream Team. He came aged 59-60 to Camp Nou, and it's like players who come and want to change jerseys with Messi at half-time. Setien wanted to play in the, in the rondos. Now, that was a shit decision. I mean, if you do that, you put everything... If you're, you're a card player who goes all in in the first round... And that's just wrong. And the players laughed at him. The players, um, I know, could see that he had a touch. But he was, you know, he was never of the level. Um, he was at the wrong age, as live and fit as he is. Um, in, instead of impressing them with his decision-making, his strategy, his tactics, his discourses, either one-on-one -on -one in groups, he put his credibility on the line in training and then got them doing little fancy games about uh, tasks that they did blindfolded and you sell your jersey in the first couple of weeks and then you start letting your assistant create enmities and then you say certain things in public which the players don't like and there's an exchange of words with um, Messi via media it, it was one misstep after another um, and it's been catastrophic with Real Madrid think about what Zidane came in I think in March 2019 he'd walked away saying that 
Madrid needed to find new behaviour patterns that they wouldn't keep winning with him. And it's just like a parent with a kid. He walked away saying things aren't right and he meant upwards, not just downwards to the squad. They went through um, and our clutch of coaches quickly and he came back and the results initially when Zidane came back were pretty awful. He was all the time not just saying to the, those around him but showing them, I was right, you weren't paying attention, now pay attention. And the, the change in attitude, the change, if you look at it either just with the naked eye or via results or via stats, it doesn't matter. Everything has tightened. Daily behaviour has tightened. Quality of training has tightened. Their finishing has tightened. Their defensive positioning, the defensive work, the, the number of times they lose the ball, the number of times they win the ball back, number of goals they conceded. It's it's the least goals that Ramadan have conceded for you know, pretty much in living memory. Now, everybody's got to contribute to that. But Zidane is the lightning conductor, without any question. He does things that are right time after time after time. And, and they're not always gigantic movements of the, the chessboard. They're little incremental, positive, daily attitudes, routines, sayings. And even if he's not Pep, in terms of ability to get to players, he's the closest thing to Pep. He's not as intense. He's not as condemnatory if, if somebody's not on side. He can he can wean players back in. If you're out, you're out. He's a hard man. Um, like, for example, Ceballos has cooked his goose with Zidane. Regulon was out because of a dispute with um, Zidane's son, who's the goalkeeper at Castilla, Real B. You know, if, if you step on his toes badly, then... <laughs> Well, we only need to go back to the 2006 World Cup or um, the sending off for Juventus against Hamburg or the stamp on a Saudi Arabian player in 98 in the World Cup. It, you don't want to cross him, but that, those are rare moments now. Um, this is a guy who persuades, who teaches, who inspires. And then what we saw this um, season was, you know, what, what's he been? He's been in charge. I'm clutching up figures, Martin, so listeners, excuse me if, if I miss a... Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, if I'm out by three or four, maybe he's coached about Rumadid about 217 times, 215 times. He's changed his formation about 195 times in that. So sequentially, you'll get a different 11 week after week after week after week. That used to be anathema to every big club, every big coach. Find your 11, rotate it, yes, but get as close to your 11, and, and whenever you can stick to your best 11, use it. Not for Zidane. People, I, I thought lazy people because from the start I didn't say I, I can see Zidane's going to be an elite coach, don't worry about it. But I could I could see that he was doing enough right that he needed to be given time. But the clever, clever guys who are always at the, at the, at the top table sneering at everybody else, and I mean in the media predominantly, were like, ah, you see, but he can work with people, but he's got no tactical nice. Well, bullshit. Um... What we saw laterally this season were changes of formation to from 451, 433, 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1. And it doesn't mean that in every instance he was absolutely right, but he was he got his players absolutely convinced about what they were doing and effecting it perfectly. He played a big role in 
how they played those 10 straight wins, I thought. He's created a meritocracy where the subs, like they did in his first spell in charge, absolutely believe they've got to stay sharp and, and be competitive because they know, I mean, in the, in the run-in, he gave Bale and Hammes starting chances. Now, the rest of the time he might be accused of isolating them and, and basically sending them to, coventrizing them, sending them to Coventry, which is one of your favourite phrases. But he is somebody who will try to recuperate a footballer, whether it's in terms of um, psychology, spirits, um, relationships. It, you know, you, you get your chances under Zidane. That's a really big thing. So I think that it is not the case that he's some sort of Midas king who came into a very talented squad a couple of times, touched him on the shoulder and everything worked. I think that he is um, increasingly developing. He said it himself recently, I, I was, I'll always have been a better player than I am a coach. So fine, because he was a damn wonderful footballer. But in terms of coaching, I think that he is... Uh, far more rounded than people understand. I think that he's deeply influential in asking players to do tasks that the previously they weren't that keen on. He's made he gave Rodrigo start after start after start in the run in, and having begun that run at San Mamas against Athletic and not looking all that convincing, Zidane kept faith and Rodrigo started to produce. These are little things that make the difference between you being an average coach and a very good coach. And I think that he is a very good coach. And I, I, for the, I'm no Madridista either, but for the quality of football and for the quality of discourse that we get in, in La Liga, I hope he stays for as long as possible.